Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. All God's people said, Amen. Boy, I love your singing tonight. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? We're going to finish the chapter tonight. Verses 12 through 18. A lot of verses, but it's just sort of a flow, and I just want to stay in it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 18. We've been talking about poise in the face of persecution. And this is part four of that series. It started in chapter 10, verse 1, and it's going to carry us all the way to the end of the book. Tonight, we want to talk about who is and who isn't. <laughs> who is and who isn't from verses 12 through 18. The oddest thing happens when a believer chooses to obey his flesh. Anybody besides me done that this week at any particular time, chose to obey your flesh? Boy, y'all done really well. <clears throat> you lie like a dog, too. But the oddest thing happens when you choose to, do, to obey the flesh. You really don't fool anyone but yourself, especially in the body of Christ. And you always wind up on the wrong end of the stick. I, I promise you that. I heard the story. I've watched a lot of these real intelligent programs on TV like Bassmasters and uh, Buckmasters and things like that. But on one of those programs, they were telling a story. And you know how that goes. We get a bunch of hunters or fishermen together. You can't believe a lot what they say. But they said that there was a man who had a hen house, loved his hen, took care of them. But there was a fox that started getting into his hen house, started killing the hens, stealing them away. He spent thousands of dollars on traps trying to catch those hens. Well, all of his friends realized he was getting obsessed with this. And they warned him, you're going too far with it. You're going too far. Get somebody else to help you out, but don't, don't go this far with it. Well, he, he didn't listen. One day he was chasing that fox down through a field and forgot about the ditch that was there in his truck, and he tore his truck up and to the point it couldn't be fixed, and he had to buy him a brand-new pickup truck. This was really heating him up. Flesh had just taken control. He did everything. Finally, after thousands of dollars, after much expense, after a brand-new truck, he caught the fox. Now, he had a dilemma because he was so angry he didn't know how to kill the fox. He wanted to kill the fox to where the fox would suffer. And he tried to figure it out. If he, shoot it, if he shot it, that would be too easy. So he began to just think through, how can I get rid of this fox? Finally decided. He went down to the hardware store and bought about six sticks of dynamite. He got him some duct tape. You can tell he's a redneck. Got him some fuse that was about 30 foot long. Brought the dynamite back, 
took the fuses off the dynamite, spliced them into one, and spliced them into this long fuse that would go about 30 feet. Wrapped the dynamite around the fox with, with duct tape. And he lit the fuse and just set the fox loose. Got him a lawn chair, some lemonade, sat there just listening for that final boom. It was going to be so awesome. Fox took off running down across the field, got in the woods, and got confused. He couldn't understand what was dragging behind him. So the fox made a big circle, <laughs> came all the way up and ran up underneath these brand-new pickup truck. Well, you know, the, it, you'd have to be careful. When you choose the flesh, you're going to pay. Uh, you say, Wayne, what's that got to do with the message? Oh, it's got a lot to do with the message. You see, a better word for flesh is self, and a better word for self is sin. I've shared this with you many times. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to stray, cost you more than you ever dreamed you'd pay, and keep you longer than you ever thought about you'd stay. I mean, it's, it, it's a very costly thing. Well, in our text today, we get to observe Paul, a true apostle, contrasting the life of these other false apostles with his, 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 with his character. You see, these people had come in and deceived the church of Corinth by their flesh trying to make them think that they were the apostles, and Paul truly didn't have the credentials to do what he was doing. False apostles of Paul's day employed every deceptive means of the flesh to deceive the believers of Corinth. But you know, before we assault the false apostles, before we are too hard on them, let's remember, flesh is flesh no matter whether we are believers or unbelievers. We should never stoop to the level of those like the false apostles who walk according to the flesh. And we do it many times every day. Some of us do. And that's a very tragic thing. Last week we saw the weakness of the flesh. When you choose to walk after the flesh, you lose all discernment. In verse 7 of our text in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, we saw that how the flesh was so anemic, it is so anemic, that it can only look on the outside. It doesn't know how to look on the heart. It has no idea. Paul says you're looking at things as they are outwardly. That's all the flesh can do. The way somebody looks, the polished or intelligent, convincing way he presents himself, and when he speaks, that's much more important to people who walk after the flesh than it is the purity of the individual's heart. Believers who walk after the flesh are no different than the world because they begin to view people the same exact way, and they miss the whole picture. It's totally the opposite when we choose to walk after the Spirit. Because, see, God does things differently. When it's Jesus being Jesus in me and in you, we begin to look at the heart first, long before we see the outward appearance of anyone. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7 shows you that this is the way God operates. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his statue, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees, for a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? At the heart. Only when I'm walking in the Spirit do I even remember that. If I'm walking after the flesh, I'm much more impressed with the outward appearance than I am the quality and the purity of a person's heart. But not only does the flesh look on the outside instead of on the heart, because of this, it bases its spiritual worth on tangible things. You see, there were those false apostles in Corinth who had convinced themselves and others that they belonged to Christ, not only belonged to Christ, but they were truly apostles. But they did so based on their pedigree, 
on their prominence, on their polish, all this kind of outward stuff. Paul says of them in verse 7, if we continue, if anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself. Just as he is Christ, so also are we. Paul is saying this really tongue-in-cheek. He's saying if they truly are believers, they've convinced themselves that they are, then they would have already seen the fact that we also are believers. But there was a huge difference in Paul and these false apostles. The difference was Paul had an inner witness in his spirit that he was a child of God as he writes in Romans 8. He knew because he knew because he knew that he was God's child. He didn't convince himself based on anything outwardly. It was an inner witness in his spirit. Well, if we would have gotten to verses 9 and 11 last week, we didn't quite make it, we would have seen that the flesh has to tear somebody down in order to build itself up. These are the weak characteristics of flesh. This is what the weapons of the flesh are all about. And that's why Paul said, I'm not about to put that armor on. I'm going to deal with the problem in the armor of Christ. In verse 9, For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. See, the spiritually blind false apostles of Corinth spent most of their time trying to tear him down, accusing him and tearing him down to, to, to build confidence in themselves and to, and to build themselves up. For instance, they said that he only writes to terrify you. That's why Paul had to defend himself. He said in verse 9, I don't wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. The word terrify is the word ekphobeo. It's the word in our language it means scare, scare you half to death. Scare you to death. He said that's not what I'm doing. The word letters, by the way, is, is in the plural, which, which shows you that, that there's more than one he's written to Corinth. I think there are four, and that 2 Corinthians is the fourth letter. He says that even though my letters have been tough, yeah, they've been tough, but they're for your good. They're not to scare you to death. I'm telling you the hard things because I love you. But that's not all. The false teachers couldn't say enough condemning things about Paul. They stooped to the level of attacking his physical appearance. It says in verse 10, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive. And that's cold. That's low. The word unimpressive is reference to his physical appearance is the word asthenis, which is the word we translate weak or sickly without any physical ability. You know, you think about it, Paul must not have been much to look at. I, I've heard people say he was, he was like a little hook-nosed, bald-headed, <laughs> bow-legged little Jewish man. It wasn't worth much what to look at. I don't know, but it wasn't much. And they would say, He's not physically handsome. He, he's not striking to look at as if that mattered. See, they don't look at what God looks at. But as if that were not enough, they even attacked his speech. One of the, Paul is one of the most intelligent human beings in the New Testament except for Jesus himself. But by they said his speech was contemptible. He says in verse 10, and his speech contemptible. The word contemptible is the word ekutheneo, which is the word for scornful, that which is despised. I don't exactly know all that that means. But have you been around people like this in the church today? They're people who try to tear everybody else down so that they can build themselves up. And Paul had this to say back in verse 11. Let such a person, and we don't know who that person was. He does it again. Remember, he keeps making vague 
uh, allowances to somebody. We think we know he knows who he is. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent. And what is that, by the way? Tough, bold. Then he goes on and warns them. Such persons we also are indeed when present. Now, it's something you've got to understand here. Paul had refrained from disciplining anybody in the Corinthian church until this visit that he's going to make to them. He asked them to discipline the individuals. But in this letter, over in chapter 13, he says something entirely different. He says in verse 1 and 2 of 2 Corinthians 13, This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Oh, boy, when he gets there, they're going to see Paul as he really is. The lessons we can learn from these fleshly-minded people in Corinth, whether they be the false teachers or the followers that, that were deceived by them, is incredible. When we choose to walk after the flesh, and we've got to remember this because all of us do it from time to time, the flesh is so sick, it cannot see the heart. It only looks on the outside. It's only impressed with the external. It bases its worth on tangible things, and it has to tear some others down to build itself up. Well, today, we see in Paul's life another total contrast to these false teachers, these false apostles that had gotten into Corinth. He helps the Corinthians to realize who is and who isn't. It's almost like he's saying, will the real apostle please stand up? <laughs> and in verses 12 through 18, he stands up. And we look at his character and we see the difference in him and those false teachers. First of all, three things. First of all, Paul dared not commend himself. He dared not commend himself. Verse 12. He says, for we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. The false apostles who were deceiving Corinth were experts in commending themselves. You see, Paul didn't have to commend himself. God commissioned him, and God commended him as, as being the apostle to that church. The phrase, for we're not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, is more literally, for we don't dare rank or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. We don't, we don't compare ourselves with them at all. We're not in that class at all. Why? And he's going to show you. Because they used a standard that was totally false to commend themselves. And he's going to talk about that. You see, the fleshly standard by which most false teachers measure themselves and their ministry is what they come up with themselves. This is interesting. You go out on the street and ask them, what do you think a great church is? And listen to what you're going to hear back. Somebody has come up with a false standard, non-biblical. It's not of God. It says, for we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. And look at the standard, the measure. But when they measure themselves by themselves, and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. Now, let's link this together. The word commend, and I hadn't looked at it yet, is in the statement, those who commend themselves, is the little word synistomy. It comes from two words, seen, which means together, and the word istomy, which means to place yourself or to stand. So here in our text, they put themselves alongside the Corinthians, 
and, and they, they, they commended themselves. Now, that fits with the next characteristic he brings up. They commended themselves how? Well, their standard was they measured themselves by themselves and they compared themselves with themselves. <laughs> and again, one more time. In other words, they throw away God's standard and use a false standard to commend themselves as being apostles, of which they are false to the church of Corinth. Woo. What we can learn from this. You say, what, what are you talking about, Wayne? Well, let's just talk about this for a second. You ever measured yourself by your own standard? Have you ever compared yourself with yourself? <laughs> Let me give you an example. When I grew up, we played pickup basketball on a, a, a grade school outside court. The, the goals were nine feet. I was the smallest guy out of five guys that I grew up with. And so we had more fun playing on that, had chain nets on it. Now, we did not only have our own rules by which we measured ourselves, we made up our rules as we went. And if you were a stranger and you wanted to come and you wanted to play ball with us, <laughs> you're going to have to understand, don't bring the book because we don't use the book. We measure ourselves by our own standard. If we say it's right, then it's right. Or it's kind of like if you've ever played golf with me. And notice I said if you ever did as if it was a one-time thing. Nobody ever plays with me twice. I use a foot wedge without any apology. You know what a foot wedge is? That's when you walk up and your ball's laying there. Where's my ball? I don't know. I don't know. There it is over here. I don't count that as a shot. I use mulligans wherever I am on the course, whenever I need them. And I don't count them as shots. <laughs> uh, you might not want to play with me. I, I play by the Canadian rules. Hit till it feels good. I just make up my own as I go along. I may shoot, a, I say I shot a 91. It may be in reality 191, but I'm making up my rules as I go. I'm measuring myself by myself. I want you to get the picture of what I'm talking about here. We see churches. Let's get a little deeper. We see churches that have fallen into the trap of commending themselves based on their own fleshly standard that several others have come up with. and They're, they're not using God's standard. They're using theirs, particularly those who love numbers. But like I said, they have their own rules. They may have 1,600 in the auditorium, but there were 200 dogs, three cats, 20 people on bicycles that rode past the church at the same time, so their final count is 1,823. Now, they, they make up their rules as they go. It's incredible how people think and how they measure themselves by themselves, how they compare themselves to themselves. The end justifies the means. I mean, it was like a couple of weeks ago, but officer. There were no cars coming. That's why I shot it from across the road. You know, you, you make your rules up as you go. And folks, this is what they did. They came in and developed their own standard and used that to convince the people they were the apostles and by doing so, disarmed the authority that the apostle Paul actually had. I hope you get the point. Flesh has its own false standard. Flesh will come up with whatever's necessary to make it say what it wants to say. It measures, whatever it measures itself by, it's its own standard, even its own credibility. And this is the basis of how the false teachers commended themselves as apostles who supposedly had authority over the church at Corinth. And Paul says, listen, 
I wouldn't dare com compare myself with them by commending myself their way. I'm, I'm not going to step over into that trap of having to justify what I've done comparing myself to them. He says, for we're not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, and then Paul drops a hammer. He says, they are without understanding. They have no clue what they're doing. The word understanding, sinimo, it means uh, without the ability to put things together and come up with the right conclusion. Paul said, I'm not going to get over there. There's a line I'm drawing right here. They're over there telling you that they're the true apostles of the church of Corinth. I'm over here telling you I'm not going to jump into their arena and try to compete with them because everything they're doing is without understanding. They're measuring themselves by themselves. They're comparing themselves to themselves. You see, the false apostles were clueless. So the way Paul countered those who measured themselves by themselves, who compared themselves with themselves, was that he didn't commend himself. He didn't, according to their standards. He wasn't about to do that. He was willing to rest in the fact that God had commended him. He knew who he was. He knew whose he was in Christ. He'd leave the rest to God. Now, we don't have apostles today as we had back in that day. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us. But he's the one who commends us to others. We don't go around parading with false standards trying to let people think we're something that we're not. God does the proving. You can always tell somebody has got a problem when they're consistently trying to commend themselves, when they're consistently bringing up things that aren't even really biblical to try to prove that they're somebody of worth. No, no. A person who knows who he is and whose he is and walks in the fullness of the Spirit of God allows God to commend him, allows God to exalt him. We don't have to have numbers. We don't have to have all the bells and whistles to commend us as a church. We just continue to be about what God says. We continue to sow the right seed, and God will bring up the right fruit. And that's what will commend us. Not something the world's come up with, but what God produces in our life. I was in a conference with a very famous preacher. You'd know who he was. The two of us were speaking. They had a noontime luncheon. We, were, we walked in, and they asked this one preacher that was there who has a, had a church about five times the size of what I pastored when I was in Chattanooga. And they said, we want you to help these guys in this room by telling them how you built your church. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, dear Lord. They started with the, my, the other fellow, and I said, oh, God, don't let him, let, let him go so long that we run out of time. Don't let me say anything. I don't want to say anything. And he started off, and listen, that's fine, whatever. He's talking about how many usher trainings they had and people in the parking lots were wearing certain colored jackets and meals they had after the service and everything he could come up with. He said, that's, that's really what helped us build what we have. And I was thinking, you know, I'm in trouble. I'm in deep trouble. They turned to me and said, Wayne, would you share how you built your church? And I, I, I couldn't do anything but just be honest. I said, I didn't build my church. Jesus said he would build his own church. And I said, I don't have all these bells and whistles. I don't have this and I don't have that. I'm not creative enough to think about that. And I think these are wonderful things. But all I have done for 18 years is just simply preach the word of God, the fullness of Jesus in a person's life. And God has built this church. God brought it from, from way down to way up. He did it. And it's all about him. And you know what? When we finished, the guy I was with has a wonderful heart. Turned to me. 
And the guy asked him, he said, what do you think about what he just said? He said, I wouldn't touch that with a 20-foot pole. And he had tears in his eyes. You know, folks, I'm telling you, if you have to commend yourself, you're right in the same vein of flesh that the false teachers were in. That's how they had to assume their authority, by coming up with a false standard and then pumping it and pumping it and pumping it until they convinced the people that they were who they said they were. And the Apostle Paul, he came in the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. He rested in the fact that God had raised him up. He rested in the fact that God had commissioned him and that God had, had commend, commended him. And he didn't have to say a thing. He, he, he had the validity of what God was doing in his life. So who is and who isn't? Who is and who isn't? Listen carefully to what people are saying. Listen carefully. And you may hear a false standard that they are using to try to justify that they're at a place that they have no idea where it really is. Paul dared not commend himself based on the false measurements of this world. That's the first thing you see is a contrast in him and these other false teachers. Secondly, Paul was determined when he did speak to only speak within the bounds of his authority. He called himself an apostle. He, he uses the word boast 20 times in the rest of the chapter, of the, but not in the wrong way. And he wants us to understand this. He only spoke within the bounds of his authority. He said Paul called himself an apostle, but when he did, he was only stating a fact he wasn't trying to get them to accept him as such. He already knew who he was. He already knew what God had done in his life. Verse 13, but we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. Now, the false teachers who were self-proclaimed apostles had crossed a boundary of authority by falsely commending themselves, even using a false standard. And God's apostle... His appointed referee, the Apostle Paul, blew the whistle. He said, they've gone too far. I'm not, I'm not boasting outside of the boundary of what God has done and is doing in my life. It was Paul, not the false apostles that had been given by God, the ministry of being an apostle, not just to the church of Corinth, but to every Gentile church that there was. Galatians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Let me read it to you. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For he who effectively worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised with the Jews effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. So not just the church of Corinth, but to the whole Gentile world. He was appointed as being the apostle to the Gentile world. So he says in verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 10, but we will not boast beyond our measure. What I'm saying is what God has said to me. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm who God says I am. I'm his. I know who I am. I know whose I am. The word boast is the word kafkaome, which means to speak in such a way to bring recognition either to yourself or to somebody else. Most of the time it's to yourself and it's a bad thing. Paul had the right to bring recognition to himself. He wasn't commending himself based on a false, false premise but he had the right to do that as, as a God-appointed apostle. God had anointed him and appointed him. He had never commended himself as the false apostles did with their false standards. When, again, when he said, I'm an apostle to you, he wasn't trying to convince anybody. He was telling them fact. God said it, and therefore it makes it right. You see, Paul was their rightful spiritual father. 
And they were his legitimate spiritual children. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. So Paul is trying to remind them, hey, folks, I, I'm not trying to convince you, but look at the facts. The people that are commending themselves are commending themselves on a false standard, to, a standard they came up with. But I, when I boast, I'm not boasting outside the boundaries of what God has done in my life. Verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 10, For we're not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. And what he's saying is, man, you're the result of what God did through us, of the labor he energized in and through us. But the false teachers were commending themselves based on their own standards, but also trying to usurp Paul's authority, and they were building on his labor, not on their own. Paul says, we're not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors. We don't do that. You are the work of the Holy Spirit of God working in us, and you are the letter, he says back in chapter 3. Paul not only was their spiritual father, but he had great hope for the Corinthian church in the future. Great hope for them. Matter of fact, much was at stake here, and this is why this is so significant. He, he tells them he, he wanted them to become a base for missions so that he could go on out from them to unreached areas. He says in verse 15, the last part of it, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. He wanted the Corinthians to grow in their faith and become mature enough to stand behind him and his team and send them out to regions far beyond that had never heard before. He says in verse 16, and answers that, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you. You see, they couldn't do this. They couldn't be the, the, the platform of missions behind him if they continued to listen to the false teachers and they begin to, they needed to see a different standard. They needed to see that when he said he was an apostle, he wasn't commending themselves like these men were. These men had to work it up. They had to tear him down to build themselves up. He was saying, no, God appointed me. And you know that. You know that. What I learned from this and how it applies in my own personal life, it, it's so awesome to know that God's in charge of your life. And you don't, have to, you don't have to go around convincing people of that. If you're living in the fullness of the Spirit, you don't have to produce results to prove anything. You just let Jesus be Jesus in you. There's no need to commend yourself. See, that ought to have been a clue to them right off how they tore Paul down and how they commended themselves, that should have been a clue. They're not who they say they are. Because a person that's secure, a person who knows whose he is, a person who knows who he is, can rest in that. And God will exalt him. God will give the proof. God will prick their hearts if they're believers to know who they are. I spoke once on a need in our church for missions, and my heart is Eastern Europe. It was at that time. It is today, even though communist walls have come down it's still my burden my heart a young gal came up to me after the service was over have you ever noticed somebody had a chip on their shoulder you ever noticed that somebody that's been on one mission trip and now they're going to write a book on missions and she walked up to me with that little edge I could see the edge before she spoke you mentioned Eastern Europe I said yes ma'am I did I thought she was going to tell me something and she said I just got back from a 10-day trip over there and she said, you probably have no clue about those people in Eastern Europe. She went on and on and on. She's been 10 days, and she's going to write the book. 
Finally, she slowed down long enough and asked me a question. She said, have you ever even thought about going to Eastern Europe if you're going to talk about the need that's over there? <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am, I have. I went, I've been going for the last 12 years to Eastern Europe. I said, three years under Ceausescu, and we'd go 27 days at a time. And I said, we followed that up and ministered to those Christians and those pastors for the last nine years after the revolution. And she paled in her face. And all of a sudden, what she had used to commend herself, standing beside a standard that only God could have raised up, it was immediate. It was immediate. And boy, she got real humble before she left the building that day. You don't have to go around parading what you've done. You don't have to tell people what you've done. You let Jesus be Jesus in your life. Let him set the standard in your life. Let him prove by the fruit of his spirit being born in your life. Let him prove who you are. Paul said, I'm not going to get over here. Oh, I got numbers. Have I got numbers? You know, he said that in Philippians. He said, you want to brag? Talk about being a Jew? But I'll get in there with you. But that was a foolish thing, and he said that. But you don't have to do that kind of thing. So what, how do we see who is and who isn't? Well, just look carefully at their character. See how well they have to commend themselves to the point to convince you that there's something that they really know they're not. And secondly, watch how they're determined to speak out of bounds about ministry that they didn't even labor to see happen. Paul says, I stay within bounds. When I speak as an apostle, I'm not trying to convince anybody. I know who I am, know whose I am. And God shows already you that you're the fruit of the labors that he's done through me. I don't need to get involved in this kind of stuff. It's not important. And then thirdly, he was totally devoted to give all the glory to God. All the glory to God. Paul had no trouble when it came to giving all the glory to God for what God had done through him. He understood this. The false teachers had no clue. He says in verse 17, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. He quotes from probably, we don't know exactly, but probably from Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. It's one of the places he could have chosen. Jeremiah 9, 23 talks about how the vain people, how flesh boasts. And maybe Paul had that on mind. I don't know. And Jeremiah 9, 23 says, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. If he's wise, just let him be wise. He doesn't have to boast about it. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. And let not a rich man boast of his riches. Because what they're doing is just giving themselves away. They're pointing to themselves. He says, but let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And so Paul knew and understood several things. That's, that's why he had no trouble saying, buddy, when you're going to boast, you better boast in him. Because it's all about him. He knew that he could do nothing apart from the Lord Jesus working in his life. He knew that. He's already taught us this in 2 Corinthians. His adequacy was never within himself. You talk to a false teacher, he'll tell you in a minute how he can do it. He can do it. He can do it. He can. You talk to a person who's walking with God, he knows he can't do it apart from God. God came to live in him to do through him what he could never do for himself. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5 and 6, he says, Not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. He says, but our adequacy is from God who made us adequate as a servant of a new covenant. He understood the new covenant language. These false teachers had no clue. They didn't realize every time they opened their mouth, they hung themselves because they kept pointing to themselves, commending themselves by their own standard. 
That's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it's not me, it's Christ living in me. Paul also knew something else. That since it wasn't him and it was only Christ working through him, and he was awed daily by that, Paul knew and understood that only God could open doors for ministry. Only God could have, could have started the church at Corinth. Only God could have even brought him over there. He experienced this all through his ministry. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it was an open door at Troas. We studied that. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, it was an open door in Ephesus. In Colossians 4, 3, it was an open door of ministry in prison. In fact, in Acts 14, 27, he said he opened the door to the whole Gentile world to him. So Paul, he knew that no man could close the doors that God opened, Revelation 3, 8. So he knew and believed to me what every believer needs to know and understand and believe in the 21st century. He knew that God was the one who commends us. God initiates. God sustains. It's Christ in us. It's never us. He understood that. It's based on God's standard, not ours. So he says in verse 18, For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord, commends. If God did not put his seal of approval on Paul, then every bit of labor, every bit of sweat, everything that he has done will burn at the judgment seat of Christ as, as wood, hay, and stubble. The word approved is the word dokimos, which means to be found genuine in the sight of God and the sight of man. Only God can commend his chosen. And living in a world that commends itself by its own standard. Living in a world that looks at the external and never looks on the heart. Living in a world that's always tearing people down to build themselves up. Paul stands as a glaring contrast. And he says, I dare not commend myself. No, sir. I will not go to that arena. I know going to, to conventions, when we go to the conventions and people walk up, Wayne, how are you doing? Great, man. How's your church? What do you mean? How many buildings have you built? What's your budget this year? How many are you running? That doesn't tell me a thing, and, that's, and I never answer them because that's not the standard. The standard is not how broad it is. The standard is how deep is it. The standard is whether or not they're transformed lives. God has established his own standard. But we live in a world that we're constantly caught in between the two. He dared not commend himself. He was determined never to speak within the, but except within the bounds of his own authority. I can't speak for those out there. It's not my authority. That's not where God's put me. That's what Paul says. He was devoted to giving all glory to God. All the glory given to God. What a contrast. What a contrast. I want to challenge you as you go out this next week. Don't go out and try to prove that you're a Christian. Let Jesus be Jesus in you. Let him prove himself. Don't have to commend yourself to people to make you look, make you look better. Don't, don't get involved in their kind of they're kind of jargon. It has nothing to do with Scripture. Be determined to stay within the bounds of the authority God has given to you and in your family, whatever. And be devoted to giving all the glory just to God. Don't ever take it. You know, one of the toughest things for me has always been when people walk up and say, man, I love that sermon. That's one or two of them do that. <laughs> but when they do that and they say, whoa, I love that sermon. And, and, and finally I came to understand they're really praising the Lord but I used to say I was so self-conscious about it. No, 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 no. Don't you say that to me. You say that to him. But that's really my heart. Live that way. Live that way. My desire is one day to stand in his presence 
and hear him commend me. Whoa, would that not be awesome? And hear him say, Wayne, Wayne, son, I've known you all those years. Come here, son. Put his arms around me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You gave me the glory. You let me do it. You didn't get involved with the false standards of the world trying to commend yourself to be something you didn't even understand. You just let me be who I am in you. Well done. Well done. You see the contrast between the two? The false teachers, the false apostles, and the apostle Paul? Huge difference. Huge difference. Are you that contrast to somebody else? As you let Jesus be Jesus in you. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.